When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than just studying an ancient text. We believe God speaks to us through these words. So will you take a moment of silence just to clear your mind and in the quiet, listen to what God has to say. Today is our last day in the series in the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the early church in the city of Philippi. Hear these words of Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I was very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you were always concerned but had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and having more than enough. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the the power of the one who gives me strength. Still, you have done well to share my distress. You Philippians know from the time of my first mission work in Macedonia how no church shared in supporting my ministry except you. You sent contributions repeatedly to take care of my needs, even while I was in Thessalonica. I'm not hoping for a gift, but I am hoping for a profit that accumulates in your account. I now have, I now have plenty, and it is more than enough. I am full to overflowing because I received the gifts that you sent from Epaphroditus. Those gifts give off a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that pleases God. My God will meet your every need out of his riches in the glory that is found in Christ Jesus. Let glory be given to God our Father forever and always. Amen. Greet God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters with me send you their greeting. All God's people here, especially those in Caesar's household, send you their greeting. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. This is the word of the Lord. So the invitation that is constantly before us is to enjoy life with God, which is why we as a church have been going through this series in the book of Philippians, a letter that in a lot of ways demonstrates to us that the Apostle Paul saw himself as an active participant in the life of God and in the story of Jesus. He understood that the events, circumstances, and themes of his story were actually a part of God's greater story. And so as we've progressed through this book, we've kind of been asking ourselves a couple of questions. The first one is this. What story are we living in? What story are we living in? And the second one is this. And how are we actually responding to that invitation to live our everyday, ordinary lives with God? Uh, Today, as Lance said, we're going to be concluding this series. Uh, But before we do that, let's take a moment to acknowledge God's presence and ask ask him to illuminate our time together in prayer. Hey God, we recognize that we don't have to like summon you into our midst. God, you're already here. 
What we do need, God, are, are for our eyes to be opened, that we may see you, our ears to be unstopped, that we may hear you, our, our minds to be sensitive, that we may know you, and our hearts to be opened, that we may receive you. We pray that you would grant each one of us a blessing, O oh God, as each of us has need. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, so my name is Nate, um, and I've been a part of the Nova community for a while now, but I'm actually originally from Kansas City, and back in Kansas City, there's this massive church called the Church of the Resurrection, and it's actually home to the world's largest stained glass window. So it's like 40 feet tall and 100 feet wide. I mean, it's like just slightly bigger than a basketball court. I mean, this thing is massive, and it cost $3 million to construct. Uh, it's set up at the highest point in the auditorium, and it's set up like in this way that as the sun rises, the, the light, it shines through the panels onto the, like, the congregants as they worship every Sunday. I mean, this thing is absolutely insane. It is incredible. And I think uh, we should have a picture of it. Yeah, it's kind of pixelated. I couldn't find like a, like a legit picture, so I kind of had to screenshot off their web sh- website. Um, but you kind of get the idea. This thing is absolutely huge. I mean, it's the size of a basketball court. Uh, depicted on the far left is the entire story of the Old Testament, uh, beginning with the Garden of Eden and ending with the prophets. And then depicted over here on the right is the entire story of the New Testament. And then right there in the middle is Jesus. Uh, the Old Testament kind of flows into him, and the New Testament flows from him. And so it goes Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament. And it basically tells the story of the Bible as one coherent narrative. And it was really cool because a couple years ago, one of my friends uh, who actually worked at the Church of the Resurrection uh, invited me and a couple other people to go look and go see this stained glass in person. And I mean, I like... Like, I'm not, like, this is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. This thing is just insane. And, and as I was standing there, I was, you know, amazed, of course, at the beauty and the size and just the, the, the amount of money that went into it, which is just crazy. But I think more than anything, the thing that really stood out to me was, like, all of the people who were depicted on the piece. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's really hard to see, actually. Um, but on the Old Testament side, you kind of got everybody you'd expect, right? You got Adam and Eve. I think they're kind of hiding over there. Eve's picking from the tree. Uh, Cain and Abel, Ruth and Naomi are up there. Um, Elijah, a bunch of other prophets. Um, and then on the New Testament side, or in the, the middle with, with Jesus, uh, you've got John the Baptist, uh, the woman at the well. She's kind of back there. Nicodemus is up there somewhere in a tree. Um, yeah, just, again, just kind of everyone you'd expect. But then on the New Testament side, the artist did something that I wasn't really expecting when I was looking at this piece. Uh, so again, in addition to the people that you would expect, right, like the 12 disciples, for instance, the artist also chose to include some of the most influential and prominent Christians throughout history. So there's people like St. Francis of Assisi, Martin Luther, who, if it was a clearer picture, you'd be able to see he's kind of nailing his theses. Um, Francis Asbury, Franklin Graham, or Billy Graham, Billy Graham, and a whole host, Billy Graham, and a whole host of other people are depicted up there. 
Uh, and while I was there, like looking up at the stained glass, I just couldn't help but be like utterly astonished. I mean, this thing, I, I wish we could take a field trip and go look at this because it is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, it's an incredible piece. And you know, whenever we think of the word saint or like a like I don't know who a holy person is or who a saint is, I think a lot of times we think of the people who are depicted up there. Or we think of these individual heroic people unlike anyone else. Or we think of the Apostle John, who authored like five books of the New Testament, who pastored seven churches, that's insane, and then was exiled on the island of Patmos for his faith. And we think of Peter, who converted thousands of people, worked miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and acted as the leader of the early church until his martyrdom in Rome. Or maybe like whenever you think of the word saint or, or who a saint is, maybe you think of someone like Martin Luther King Jr., right? Or, or maybe even St. Teresa of Calcutta, two great individuals who modeled Christlikeness. Right? Martin Luther King Jr. was a faithful reverend, a profound advocate for justice, and the kind of person that didn't just talk about his faith, but actually acted it out and lived it out. St. Teresa of Calcutta lived a long, unwavering life in service to others. She cared for the sick, she provided for people's needs, uh, provided for the poor, and gave hope to the dying. And to to the point, right, that that her name has actually kind of become synonymous with what it means to follow Jesus. Whenever we think about who a saint is, we think of individual heroic figures like the people on that stained glass window, people who are unlike anyone else, such as unreal women and men who do these incredible feats for God. But is that an accurate image of what a saint is? Right? Are saints only the heroic? Are saints only the exceptional? Are saints only the renowned? Are there saints and then the rest of us? I don't think so. And it doesn't seem like Paul did either. Because actually, in the book of Philippians, Paul gives us a very different understanding, a very different picture about what it means to be a saint, about what it means to actually live a life with God. And he shows us by giving us a glimpse into his own life that a life with God and the story of God isn't about just a few exceptional and remarkable individuals, but is actually about a great company of believers enjoying God together. Whenever we think of Paul, we kind of think of him as this like Herculean guy that just like single-handedly brought Christianity to the world, right? And just by his own power and charisma and intellect planted church after church after church. I mean, like, yeah, like he did a lot for the kingdom of God, but he always had help. And in the book of Philippians, by giving us a glimpse into his life and into his ministry, Paul actually reveals to us that life with God and the story of God isn't an individual or solitary endeavor. And it's not about a few exceptional or remarkable individuals, but is actually about a great company of believers enjoying God together. Right? A life with God in the story of God is about a great company of believers enjoying God together. And if maybe we were to condense it down and say it a different way, we could say like, everybody on this journey with God needs somebody. Right? Everybody needs somebody. A life with God in the story of God is all about a great company of believers enjoying God together. Everybody needs somebody. 
In verse 14, Paul says to the Philippians, he says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Right? It, was, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And, and the idea here is that the Philippians were actually Paul's partner in the gospel, which is something that we've kind of heard throughout the entire book. Like all the way back in chapter two, we get this pretty detailed description of Paul's relationship with two people, Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus. Uh, about his relationship with Timothy, Paul says that Timothy has actually proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served with Paul in the work of the gospel. And then later on, Paul describes Epaphroditus, and he calls him his brother, he calls him his co-worker, and he calls him his fellow soldier. And then in the passage today that, that Lance read, we kind of get this sense that, well, not just a sense, but we're explicitly told that the Philippians shared with Paul in the matter of giving and receiving. They sent him aid when he was in need. They took care of him while he was in prison, and, and they shared in his sufferings as a partner in the gospel, even when all the other churches wouldn't. And as we read that, and as we consider these things, we kind of get the sense that Timothy and Epaphroditus and all of the other believers at Philippi weren't just like ornamental in Paul's life or ministry. They weren't like just his sidekicks. They weren't extras in Paul's life. No, they were his dear friends and they were his cooperators in the gospel. And through their gracious support, Paul had been blessed abundantly. There is no Paul without Timothy. There is no Paul without Epaphroditus. There is no Paul without the believers in Philippi. Right? Even Paul, this, this great apostle of the faith, needed others. Right? He needed Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and Phoebe and Silas and Luke and Priscilla and Barnabas. He needed the Philippians, he needed the Ephesians, and he needed the Corinthians. Right? Paul needed others. And so do we. Everybody on this journey with God needs somebody. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard some version of this sermon like a billion times, right? Like you know that you need to be in community and you've heard pastors and church leaders and podcasts and books and articles and like all of these things telling you that you need to be in community, right? Like you get it. You get that everybody needs somebody. You get that, that a life with God and the story of God is all about this, this great company of believers enjoying God together, right? And you get that, you're on board, but man, that is a lot, that is a lot easier said than done, right? You know that everybody, and you've heard over and over again that, that the myth that we as Christians, you know, we don't really need a church or anything is just that, a myth, right? You've heard it, and, and you've heard that, you know, like this whole like self-motivated follower of Jesus thing is it, like, it's kind of a lie, and you, you get that. You know that. Right? You know that life with God and the story of God is all about this great company of believers, but that is a lot easier said than done. That is so much easier said than done. Right? Because, you know, for a lot of us, right, we have been hurt and injured by the church. We've been betrayed and abused by spiritual leaders and believing communities. And, and so, so to enter into a church... To enter into a space like this, into a sanctuary, and to try to join another believing community is to actually relive your past trauma. Life with God and the story of God is all about this great company of believers enjoying God together, but man, that is so much easier said than done. 
That is so much easier said than done. Or maybe, maybe your past experience with a company of believers was incredibly shame-inducing. Maybe you were told, whether explicitly, outright, or implicitly, that you, a, that you are a problem that needs to be fixed. Maybe you've been told that you're a temptation to other people. Maybe you've been told that you are unworthy of support. And so right now, the idea, the very idea of coming to church makes you feel guilty and anxious and just kind of gross on the inside and undeserving. The idea that life with God and the story of God is all about this, this great community of believers enjoying God together is way easier said than done. And, you know, maybe after what you've seen or after what you've been through, it just, like, that idea just, just kind of sounds naive, maybe childish, and maybe even patronizing. And so maybe, right, maybe you're in this place where, like, to spare yourself more pain, right? Like, this is a legitimate, like, I'm trying to stay away from this thing. Like, you, like you're just, to spare yourself more pain, you're, you're trying to do this Christianity thing on your own. And if that's where you're at, I just want to say that I'm really, really sorry. I am so sorry that you have endured pain and that you have been abused at the hands of people who you trusted to take care of you, who you trusted to guide you and who you trusted to bring life and goodness and righteousness and all of the the great things into your life. I am so sorry if you've been shamed and treated as lesser by fellow believers. And I am so sorry, truly and legitimately sorry for the church's failures. I cannot imagine what it's been like for you, and I am so sorry. True community and true togetherness, right? Are things that are often promised, but rarely delivered. True community and true togetherness and withness, and they're often promised, but very rarely delivered. And we here at Nova, we recognize that. We recognize how difficult it is to find a place to belong. Like a place that actually welcomes you, a place that actually supports you, and and a place from which you can actually pursue God and a life with him. And we know what it's like to be isolated and lonely, which is why we here at Nova have this this dream, this vision, this this goal that we're just kind of shooting towards and and trying to get to. We want to be a good and godly and safe place where nobody walks alone. We want to be a place of steadiness for the faltering, a place of gentle assurance for the despairing, and a place where the homesick can find hope of home. Because we believe at the very heart of the church, at the very core of what the church has been called by Christ to be, is this incredible opportunity to flourish and grow and thrive and become the kind of people that God has actually called us to be. We believe wholeheartedly 
that a life with God in the story of God is all about a great company of believers enjoying God together. And that's what we're striving towards here at Nova. Uh, The stained glass window at the Church of the Resurrection is a remarkable piece, right? I mean, just look at it, right? It's beautiful. But more than just being like something pretty to look at, the stained glass is designed to tell the biblical story, capturing the most important themes from Scripture, all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way to Revelation with the new heavens and the new earth. The story in the window is God's story. But it's also our story. And we're meant to find ourselves within it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple minutes to contemplate and consider the stained glass. Find yourself in the story. Right? Imagine yourself positioned up there with the saints as one who belongs. But then don't just imagine yourself up there. Imagine everyone in this room sitting next to you, positioned up there among the saints as people who belong. Consider a life with God and the story of God together. We'll take a couple minutes to do that.